Thank you, Wendy. I did want to just say one more quick word about the puzzle out there. For those who don't know, that uh, the, the puzzle represents a $20,000 chunk that we're, we're uh, working towards, towards our debt reduction. Did you notice there's only that little sliver left? Isn't that awesome? It's only the cross that's missing. I don't know if there's a, supposed to be a point to that or not. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I'm excited about that. And, and uh, I believe we will have that, that paid off by Easter. So I'm excited about that. Well, let's go to the book of Romans. So we're, we're, we've been studying the book of Romans. And uh, we're trying to make sense of what matters most. And so, so Paul walks through this doctrine of the gospel and I don't know about you, but I've learned a lot about, uh, about the gospel. Haven't you? Yes. And I've accepted the gospel. I've known the gospel for a long time. But I have learned things that, that, uh, that I had never, never understood before to the, to the, uh, the lengths that, that Paul describes and explains things. And, uh, and so to get an understanding of where we're at, once again, Paul began with the doctrine of, and for those who have been here for a while, sin. Very good. The doctrine of sin and how God is just to punish us for our sins, but then he offers us salvation very well, which we find that we receive by grace through faith and it is not by works, which begins a process of sanctification where we become more and more like Jesus Christ. Um, and, but during that time, we have a sense of security, exactly because we know we're the sons of God. We cannot lose our salvation. And uh, then we talked about the issue of selection. And we've been on that. And this has probably been the deepest part, wouldn't you say? Uh, it's, Paul has gotten into some deep theological truths here um, in, in Romans uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11. We've talked about what does it take uh, to, to be saved? How, how do you become one of the, uh, the, the a believer? And I love the way Romans 10 put it all succinctly right in the middle of that um, uh, in fact, we could uh, look at that. We'll be looking in, uh, in chapter 11 this morning, but in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 10, that if you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Beautiful yeah. words, aren't they? And so we, we, we come to this understanding of, of selection. But God uses throughout this the analogy of Israel, and that brings us to the question, of how, how does Israel fit into all of this? And you have churches that have different views, views on this, and some say the church replaces Israel. All the promises made to Israel now belong to the church, and then you have others that say the church equals Israel, and you have others that say, no, they're two completely different things, and all these different ideas. Uh, I would suggest to any of, uh, any of you as you study it, to focus on what Romans 11 says, because Paul here answers those questions to, uh, with, with such clarity uh, that really helps us understand where he's coming from. Um, remember how last week we concluded that God did choose Israel. Remember that. Then Israel rejected. But God saved the remnant of Israel. There was still a remnant, just as he did in Old Testament days. There was a remnant of Israel that stayed. And then God created the church. And even though the remnant joins the church, there is going to be a time, right, when God is going to restore Israel as a whole. And that's what we were left with last week. What does that look like? We don't know yet. Uh, but they're, they're, God is not done with Israel. In fact, we, we learned last week that, that God was going to use the church to make Israel jealous and return to him. In fact, where we left off was in chapter 11, verses 11 through 12. I just want to read those one more time. I say then, have they, talking about Israel, have they stumbled 
that they should fall. Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's us. Verse 12, now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more of their fullness? What he's saying is when the, the, the Israelites rejected God uh, and God, in order to provoke them, went out, way out of his way to, to promote the gospel to the, the non-Jewish nations. And he's doing so in such a way that their repentance is actually a blessing for us, right? Have you ever had that happen where someone threw away something that was junk to them, but it was like treasure to you, Right? And, and you see that happening in a sense. It's something that they threw away. They didn't want it. They wanted to be like the nations around them. From the earliest days, they wanted a king like other nations. They didn't want a king that was the creator of the universe. They wanted a king like the other nations. And, and, and we see that happening. And, and yet what has happened is that the salvation has come. And Now, salvation came to the Gentiles even before, right? There were Gentiles who accepted, who accepted the truth in the Old Testament, right? We saw that in, in when we read the book of Joshua. We saw uh, with Rahab. We, we see it all through the Old Testament. But it came to the Gentiles in a very different way. Even to the point that the, that the New Testament was written in Greek, which was the language of the Gentiles. Everyone had their own little languages, but Greek was the one language that kind of united everybody, right? And, uh, and so God was, was, has come to us in a beautiful way. But what does that mean for Israel? What does that mean for them? And that's where, where we're at. How, how should we see Israel? Verse, uh, let's read then, starting for this week, verses 13 through 15. We're talking about how should we see Israel. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to Gentiles. Let me just stop there for a moment. Was Paul a Gentile or a Jew? He was a Jew. But he was an apostle to the Gentiles. And so he's saying, I speak to you, Gentiles, because that's that's who I am. I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. He continues, I magnify my ministry if by any means I provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them. What was Paul's attitude towards the Jews? He's saying, "I, I am one. Now, I'm doing my job, and my job is to give the gospel out to the Gentiles. But if by chance... Some of the Jews, who, by the way, were persecuting the Christians at that point, right? If the Jews accept Jesus Christ, if they, if they understand the gospel, and they accept the gospel, then how did he feel about that? Oh, my ministry has just been magnified, right? And so we have this, this view that, uh, that Paul has. He goes on in verse 15, For if their being cast away is, uh, uh, is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead. God took even the rejection that Israel had and turned it into something beautiful. Just wait until the restoration. Right? He, he took, you know, God, God has a way of even taking horrible decisions that we make and doing something good out of it, doesn't he? Right? We see that. Take the, like, the life of Joseph. His brothers made some pretty bad decisions, didn't they? And they, they took their brother and they, they, they they faked his death, told the father that he had been killed, and then sold him as a, as a slave. Now, I've had, I've had a few tips with my brothers before, but that's, that's no, I've had nothing that compares to that. Anyone here been sold as a slave by your brothers? I see a couple hands over here. Yeah. Not many of us, right? And so, so 
see this. Um, God, God took that, but he, he used that for his good. He took Joseph out of the home. He put him into the right place it, it, so that just at the right place, at the right time, with the right skill set, the, that he would have an opportunity to actually save not just his brothers, but his entire line from famine. Right? And so God does amazing things with, with, with poor decisions. Just wait till you see what happens when good decisions are being made. That's what he's saying about Israel. Hey, through their rejection, God did some great things. The church is a result of that. We are part of the result of that. However, just wait until we see the restoration. What God's going to do. This is going to be life of the dead. I mean, this is this is major stuff. That's what Paul is talking about here. So, how should we see Israel? That's a question that that uh, we need to ask. How should we see them? Because if you take the people who are reading this for the first time, the, the Jews were not treating them very well, right? The, Jew, the Jews were not treating them very well. And in fact, what was Paul's job before he wrote this letter? Before he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior? It was to persecute Christians because he was a Jew. And so uh, you can understand how a lot of the feelings were negative towards the Jews. But how does Paul say you should look towards the Jews? It's very simple. Israel may be an enemy of the gospel at that point. Why? Because they did not accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They were enemies of the gospel, but we ought to love them and pray for their restoration. Amen. That's what Paul is telling us. Just wait. Just when, when I lead one Jew to the Lord, I consider my, my ministry magnified. That's what he's saying. That's the exact opposite of what we find in Jonah. Isn't it? Remember when Jonah was told to go to his enemies and give the truth to his enemies? He said, oh no, I don't want to go. Lord, I, and even when they repent and they accept the Lord, what, what happens? He says, oh Lord, this is what I knew would happen. You would be compassionate on them. Like that's a bad thing. <laughs> this is the opposite. He's saying, no, that's not the way we should treat them. You know, there's a tendency... For people, if we're honest, to hate Israel because they have a special role. Isn't it? I mean, this is human nature. In fact, if we go back to the same story I mentioned a few moments ago, to the story of Joseph, why did his brothers hate him? Because he had a special place in his father's house, right? He was beloved of his father. His father gave him the coat of many colors. He treated him. I'm not saying that fathers should do that. You should treat your, your children with equal amounts of love, right? But he had a special place, and so what did they do? They attacked him for it. If you look at uh, the history of Israel, you find that, you, that there are people who are jealous of them and try to annihilate them and kill them. All. They want to wipe them out all through their history. Isn't that true? I mean, really, you don't have to go too far into their history to find Egypt. What in Egypt? They considered them slaves, right? Considered them slaves. And then when the, the, the God of the Israelites says to Pharaoh, let my people go, who's, the, who's Yahweh that I should worship him, right? They had no understanding of, of who God was and who God's people were. Of course, God rescued them from, from Egypt as well. But the same could be said with Greece, Right? The Greek Empire persecuted them. The Roman Empire, same thing, right? How about Islam? Islam didn't start just as a religion. It started as a political religion, right? And so, so they hated the Jews. Muhammad wanted to be the Messiah of the Old Testament, uh, of the Old Testament scriptures, and he didn't fit all the, the prophecies. 
So he, so he hated the Jews. He persecuted them. Um, even, and coming a little closer in history, how about the Nazi regime? They tried to wipe them out. Right? And even some of that, that anti-Semitic thinking uh, comes even to today and exists today. Here, the, the, this is the Knights of the, uh, the, the Ku Klux Klan. You know, and and you, you find all of these anti-Semitic. And when you think of the word anti-Semitic, two parts of the word anti, which means against, and Semitic literally means of the line of Shem. So if you go all the way back to Noah, you had three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Anti-Semitic means you're against the entire line of Shem, of which are the Jews. And so you have this anti-Semitic uh, tendency because God, God had them as a, as a special role for Israel. Why is there so much hatred uh, towards them? In fact, the justification, according to a group called the Christian Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, is that they say, they killed Christ, so we killed them. Right? Well, they haven't read Romans 11. Right? Anyone who believes that anti-Semitism is okay is anti-Christian. Amen? They're anti Christian, and because Paul, Paul says, yes, they're enemies of the gospel. Yes, we should rejoice when any of them are restored. That's the attitude that we should have. You know that that's that's what what Paul's asking us to do. So, um, but that leaves us still: Is the church Israel? Uh, do we replace Israel? Are we in any way connected? If so, how? Some questions that leaves uh, for us, and Paul answers these questions with a, great, uh, with, a, with a great analogy. So let's continue. In Romans chapter 11, verses 16 and 17. We, we, we read this. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. He gives two analogies in one verse. The second analogy he's going to carry on to the next several verses. The first analogy is that of first fruits. And he's saying if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. What that means is in the Old Testament times, we had uh, two, two, uh, two of the feasts that were connected. You had one that was called the first fruits. It happened at the beginning of the harvest. And then you had the day of Pentecost, which happened 50 days later. So seven weeks to seven days on the 50th day. At the beginning, they would take a certain amount of grain, and they would make a lump of, of dough, and they would wave it to the Lord, right? They would they'd do what they called a wave offering. So, they, so the wave was not invented in our century, right? <laughs> they did the wave all the way back then. But then you go 50 days forward to the end of the harvest, and they go to the day of Pentecost, and they would do another wave offering. They would take the exact same amount of grain, but this time they would bake it into a full loaf of bread, and then they would do a wave offering. And those two holidays went together to show that from the beginning to the end, who's the provider? It's God. And so we understand that from the beginning, when it's just from raw grain, all the way to the end where you have where you have the, the bread, it, it's, all, it's all God's. And so he's saying, it, he's using that as an, an analogy that what you have from the beginning, if what you have from the beginning is holy, then what you're going to have at the end is also holy, right? Now, if that's a little confusing, he gives an even more clear example when he says, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. So now we have an illustration of a tree. And he's, he's saying that if the root is holy, then what's going to happen to the branches? The branches will be holy. Now, we're going to talk about this illustration in the next couple of verses. But I have a confession to make before, before we do. Here's the confession, and you'll because you all know it anyway in just a moment. I am not an artist. 
All right, so keep that in mind. And here's why. Because we're going we're gonna to see uh, an, an analogy, and you're going to see. Verse 17 says, If, and if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. So, here you go. There's my artwork. That's about as good as I can do. But here's what we find in this analogy of a tree. First, we read, if the root is holy, so are the branches. In the context, what is he talking about? Who's the root? Israel. Right? We're the branches. Israel is the, is the root. And there's, a, there's a, a long history. Now, what does a root of a tree do? The roots spread out into the, into the earth, right? And they suck the nutrients out of the, of the earth and, and pass them along in an edible way for the rest of the tree so that the tree can grow, right? Simple stuff. If the root is holy, so are the branches. And so God started something with Israel, and there are roots. There's an Israel, Israel root to this that's, that brings the nutrients up to us. Now, if we're branches grafted in, that has a lot of implications for us, doesn't it? And so, if the root is holy, so are the branches. And then we also find that if some of the branches were broken off, who's he talking about there? Israel, right? Israel rejected. They had all of the nutrients, all of the spiritual blessing that, was, that God was providing for them, and they said, this isn't what we want. They rejected it. In fact, when Israel split into two countries, Israel became the name of the northern part of Israel, and Judah became the name of the southern part of Israel. Israel, as a whole, the northern part, had so many wicked kings, wicked king after wicked king, they were worshipping the gods of Baal and Molech, and and they were rejecting the the only true God, and it came to a point where God said, all right, that's it, I'm done. And he allowed the Assyrians to come in and take them captive. And they were taken back. Now, there was a remnant that survived that, right? But you'd think, well, Judah surely would have learned their lesson, right? Because Judah would have seen what happened to Israel when they reject God. But no, they didn't learn the lesson either. And it wasn't that long thereafter where they, they were just as evil as, as, as Israel ever had been. And so God allowed the Babylonians to come in and carry them off, right? Now, is God still faithful during that? Is he keeping his promises? You bet. Was there a remnant? Yeah. Daniel. Right? He would be one of them. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Right? Remnant. Not in their homeland, but a remnant. And they're outside of their, their homeland. This is what, uh, what, what you see God continually doing. If some of the branches were broken off, is what he's talking about. That's Israel. Then what? To the church. Then what we read is that you, the church, were grafted in. You are grafted in. Wow. That's an amazing thought when you think about it. What does it say? It says we become spiritual partakers. We get some of that spiritual nutrients that God had provided for Israel and now is being given to us. But we're grafted in. Did we belong to that tree? No. Uh, we, we don't belong to that tree. It's a completely different thing. We were, we were grafted in. Uh, this should cause multiple reactions. But look at what verse 18 says. 
It says, and do not boast against the branches, but if you, uh, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. I mean, have you ever seen a tree where the root is supporting the trunk? Have you ever seen that? The only time I've ever seen that is when the tree has been downed, right? That's the only time. I've never seen, uh, seen it the other way around. And he's saying uh, to, to make sure we understand that the, the root, as it says here, the root, or um, you do not support the root. The root supports you. This ought to cause two reactions to us, two obvious ones. Number one, gratitude, right? Gratitude. See, we don't, we don't belong to the tree. Uh, in fact, he goes on to explain, we're, we're wild olive trees compared to a cultivated olive tree. And we were grafted in. We, that means we had a different root. We came from something else. Uh, you know, for, for, for Israel to accept the Messiah, that's perfectly natural in one sense. It's their Messiah, right? For us, who's our father? It's Adam, Right? We're just typical. When you, when you go back, you realize if we had just followed our natures, if we, had, if we had not accepted the gospel that comes through Israel, then what would we be? We'd be unsaved. We'd be lost, right? We would be dead branches to some other tree. Uh, we were wild. Um, we came from different roots. Israel, it's natural for them. They just had to find their Messiah. But for us, we're being allowed in on something beyond us, Right? Like Rahab, like Ruth from the Old Testament. I think the other thing is that it, it shows us is we should be humble. You know, to be truly Christian means, in a sense, that we're Judeo-Christian. Have you ever heard that term thrown out? Judeo-Christian. What does that mean? We're Christian, but we recognize that our roots come through Israel. That's why we talk about Judeo-Christian values. Yeah, really. Christian is Judeo-Christian. Because we, we, we are supported by the root. We don't support the root. We're supported by the root. And when I think of gratitude, I, I, uh, it reminds me of a story. Back in 1943, there was a pilot named Fred Hargensheimer. And he was uh, shot down by the Japanese and fortunately landed on a small island in New Guinea. And he, by all rights, should have died, right? He should have died. However, he survived. He lands on, a, on this island, and the natives there hid him from the Japanese. He, he, by all rights, should have been dead. But they hid him. They risked their lives by hiding him. When the Japanese came looking for him, they hid him. Wow. Talk about gratitude. So when the war was over and he came back to the United States, you know what he did? He raised over a million dollars to go and start a school in the town that saved his life. What? Because when he, when you understand, when you have an understanding, you don't deserve to be there. You did nothing to earn this, and they did something to save your life. He was so grateful. That's all, that's all that he could do. He, could, he had to respond in gratitude, right? There's, I think this, when we understand that we've been grafted in, it should cause an attitude of gratitude. And then humility as well. 
just to realize, wow. Uh, I, I have, we have a, a short video that, that I'm going to show. It's a short video. We had some technical difficulties, so I'm hoping that this works. All right? Um, but if we can, uh, uh, if you can show that video, it's called The World's Luckiest Railroad Track Inspector. It's poor quality. I don't know if you'll be able to see it or not, but we're going to give it a shot. All right, so let's see if you can see it. There's no sound, but... All right, so there it is. You can see the man in the middle. He's the, the world's luckiest railroad track inspector, and there he is down on his knees, checking out the tracks, doing what he does. And... Yep, almost gets hit by the train, and... Oh, almost gets hit by the other train. And then again, almost gets hit by the first train. There's only two trains, and he almost got hit three times. How do you think he feels right at this moment right now? Do you think he feels grateful to be alive? Do you think he's humbled by the experience? Of course he is, right? Of course he is. I think that if we realize what we are, where we've come from, if we had followed our natures, where we would be, uh, then I think we would have the same feeling, the same sensation that this man has right now. Amen? Amen. How many of you appreciate what railroad track inspectors do now? <laughs> However, in spite of all this, there's an, there's an opportunity for pride to come in. And we have to be very careful. There's an opportunity for pride to come in. Look at what it says in verse... Um, yeah. Um, in verse 19. Very good. Verse 19, we read this. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Do you see where pride can come in? Even in salvation, it, it would be very possible for us to say, wait a minute, we're, we're the church. God finished up with the Jews. Why? Because he knew he had us. He was waiting for us. What is that? It's pride. Yeah, the moment that, even in salvation, it blows my mind. But we've, we've talked a lot about what salvation is so far. And we know that once pride enters the picture, it, it, we, miss, it, we miss the point. Amen? Amen? All right, you're still awake. All right, good. Yeah, we missed the point. Um, we sometimes can even take our salvation as if it was something that we earned or something that we accomplished. Paul says, yeah, you say that. Technically, are, we, is, are the people who say this right? Technically, yes. Branches were broken off so that we could be grafted in. That's, that's how grafting works. He says, well said, or granted, I think some of the translations say. Well said. But, he wants us to understand something. And this is important. This is what will keep us humble, I believe. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by what? By faith. So what's the issue here? The issue is about faith, right? Because it works? No. The issue is faith. Said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand, you're, you're grafted in because of your faith. That's what he's getting at. Um, it reminds me of, of being on a sports team and you're, maybe you're really trying to become one of the players and you're just a bench warmer, right? And, and you've been working hard and, and all of a sudden uh, one of the star players on your team gets, a, gets his ankle sprained. Right? And coach says, all right, great, you're in, right? or whatever. And you, you get in. Now, is that a reason to be proud? Like, hey, he's gone because of me. No, you're in because he sprained his ankle. <laughs> there is a difference, right? Now, is it an opportunity? Yes, it's an opportunity. 
can you, can you learn and grow and become a better player? Yes, you can. But that's kind of the analogy that we find here is, is hey, don't, don't get too cocky here, church. Yes, it's true that the, the, the branches were cut off so that you could be grafted in. Yes, that's true. But it's only because they messed up. They messed up because of disbelief. And you, on the other hand, it's, you stand by faith. So what does he say? The second half of verse 20, do not be haughty. What's haughty mean? Proud, cocky, but fear. Fear. Don't be proud saying, yeah, God was making room for me. No, instead, you should be afraid because the reason that Israel was benched is the same reason that you might be benched. In fact, he goes on to say, verse 21, for if God did not spare the natural branches, Israel, he may not spare you either. Is this strong language? Or am I stepping on a few toes? Maybe. Paul is. Now, by the way, I want to make clear. We've already talked about security. We already talked about the fact that once you're son, a son of God, you don't lose that, right? So is Paul, is there any possibility that he's talking about losing your salvation here? Absolutely not. But if you take the analogy, it proves it, it, proves it again. Is God done with Israel? No, he benched them. But he's planning on bringing them back, right? So if the analogy of what, what happens to Israel as a whole is the analogy of what happens to us as individuals, then, then he, what he's saying here is, yes, I might cut you off. Not that you would be done. You're getting benched, right, as a lesson, right? That's the, the, the little bit more of the analogy that he's not saying you lose your salvation. That there's, there's no way you can read the book of Romans in its entirety and come out with that belief. Is that safe to say? But he is saying here, that God might come to a point where he says, I'm, I'm done with you right now, right? You're going to sit on the bench. Why? Because you learn a lot on the bench, don't you? See, if you want to be a player, then that's the worst thing. Now, if you want to be a spectator, then there's nothing wrong with sitting. You, you like sitting. But that's not what Christians really are, right? We're not spectators. We're players. And, and you want to be in the game. You love it. In fact, I remember in, in uh, high school, actually, I wanted to be in the game so much, uh, and we had a, a soccer game that where if we won it, we were going to regionals, and if we lost it, we wouldn't. And I contracted mono, right? And, and no, I didn't kiss anybody to get it. Just you know, everyone calls it the kissing disease. I had mono, and, and so the doctor, my mom, my dad said I couldn't play in that game. Oh, can you imagine how, how torn up I was? By the way, too, I, I begged my mom. I said, is there any way I could just go to the game? And so finally I got permission to go to the game. Then I said, is there any way that I could just have permission to dress so I could just feel like part of the team? And finally my mom said, okay, you can dress. And then I said, is there any way I could just play one shift so I can say I played in the game? And finally, after much pleading, my, my mom said, okay, you can play one shift. But the moment you come out, you're done for the rest of the game. And I said, deal. <laughs> so I went in and I played one shift that lasted two halves. <laughs> my dad was not happy when I came home it was a rain game too so I came home soaking wet and I saw my dad and about as angry as I've ever seen him get and he said I disapprove I 100% disapprove and if you know my dad that's, that's about as angry as he gets but you know it was because I had this desire to be in the game you know hopefully if we're, if we're true, true believers that we want to be in the game right we don't want to just watch Christ do great things, even though that's pretty cool too. We want to be in the game. We want him to use us. 
right? And so he's saying to them, uh, he's saying, just as God didn't spare the natural branches, he might not spare you either, right? He might take you out of the game. That should wake us up. And so instead of being cocky, we're fearful. Because fear can be a good thing. If you're afraid of, of losing your position to be, be on the team and, and, and to have an impact, well, then you work hard, right? You do it. You, you get out there. You do it. And that's kind of the, the analogy that he's saying here. Don't be haughty, but, but fear, right? But instead, what we find oftentimes is people, they don't have a lot of, of fear. In fact, have you ever heard people say something like this? Only God can judge me. You've heard that? You've heard, it. You've heard people say that. Usually when they say that, what do they mean by that? Usually when they say it, they mean, uh, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. And they say it as if, uh, yeah, I, I don't want you to judge me because I'm, I'm concerned about you judging me. So only God can judge me. Wait, only God? Think about that for a second. I, I have news for anyone who says that. That should scare you, right? God can judge me? In fact, what did Jesus say? He says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. He says, don't worry about what people say. You don't need to fear them. You shouldn't be fearing God. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body and hell. God is someone to be feared, isn't he? Yeah. It's a healthy thing. He loves us, but we should, we should fear him. In fact, this, this points out that there are two sides of God, and both of, those, both of these sides are equally divine, Right? And that's exactly where Paul takes us in verses 22 through 24. He says this, Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. Two sides. The goodness and the severity. On those who fell, Israel, severity. But towards you, the church, goodness. But there's some ifs in there. If you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you'll be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut, uh, or for if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to the nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted in? Their own olive tree. So, yeah, they can be grafted back in too. So there's some ifs in here. So there's these two sides of God. Let's kind of diagram what he's saying here. On one hand, God is good, right? I, there should be a few more amens of that. It's, God is good, right? Yeah, all the time, God is good. At the same time, there's a side of God that where he is severe. There's a severity of God that Paul says we, we want to make sure we don't lose that either. You've got to hang on to both of these, right? And, and, and because they're both equally divine attributes. So there's the goodness of God and the severity of God. And what does he say about Israel? He says Israel, is who? they receive the severity. Why? Because of disbelief. But to the church, what is he showing? He's showing goodness. Why? Because of their faith. So we, we see God expressing his goodness to to the church, we see God expressing his goodness, or his, his severity to Israel. But let me ask this, has it always been that way? Has God ever shown goodness to Israel? Yeah. Yes, they were slaves in Egypt. God yanked them out of Egypt across the Red Sea. He gave them a, a, a visible expression of his presence, the tabernacle, 
He gave them victory over their enemies, even though they had no walls, right? He gave, we, we showed how he, he gave them the promised land, and they, God conquered the giants. And we saw how God sent hail. Right? Did, did, has God been good to them? Yes, he has. But in this moment, because of disbelief, that's where he, we've seen the severity. That's why we saw the Assyrian captivity. That's why we saw the Babylonian captivity. And so Paul wants us to understand that in its historical context. Okay? But what does he say? The, the ifs that we find in there. We find that if the church continues in his belief, then we'll continue in his goodness. But if the church disbelieves, what does it say? Then we too will be cut up. We can experience the severity of God. And then he goes on to say, well, what about Israel? If Israel changes in their unbelief, look at verse uh, 22. It says, therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell. Severity towards, toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you'll be cut off. Verse 23. And, and they also, if they do, do not continue in unbelief, sounds like a double negative. The idea is if they start believing again, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. So for Israel, yeah, it, we're going to see a day when Israel as a whole repents. And we're going to see the goodness of God to them. So this helps us understand. This, I don't know about you, but this keeps me humble. Does it keep you humble? Does it keep you thankful? Yes. <clears throat> it gives us fear over pride. Well, then we read verse 25. For I do not desire, brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. I don't want the pride to come up. That blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. We find here, God has temporarily blinded the Israelites so that he can finish his work with us. The fullness of the Gentiles, not everyone who's a Gentile that's going to be saved has been saved yet, right? And God has a plan, and, it, and there are people that still need to be saved. If you have uh, anyone that you know that isn't saved, then that, they could be that, those people, right? God's waiting for that. And so we see that. But yet, uh, God is still blessing the Gentiles with the church uh, because he has not yet reached all those he's going to reach. But he is still provoking Israel to jealousy. He's not done with that yet. But make no mistake, God will restore Israel as a whole. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 26 and 27, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them, that I, when I take away their sins. You see? Their, Israel as a whole will, at one point, repent again. I don't know about you, but that's exciting. To see the people of God all together. What an amazing thing. So then how do we treat them? How do we treat them? Verse 28 says, Concerning the gospel, the good news, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. A couple things in there. First, who are the fathers? That word there is the word that used of the patriarchs. For Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarch, for the fathers, because of them, because of the roots that we find. They're still beloved. So we, if you put the, the, two ad, or the two words to describe Israel for us here, we have beloved and enemies. And you say, wait a minute, how can someone be beloved and an enemy? Right? Doesn't that sound foreign? Like how can the, you put those two things together? Um, but they're enemies of the gospel. Why? Because they reject the Messiah. But they're beloved for the sake 
of the fathers. There's still love. There's still, as it uses the word election, God has still chosen to save them as a whole. Um, now, this might seem like a contradiction. Beloved enemies. But it's not a contradiction for Christians. This is a contradiction for anyone else in the world. You can't call someone a, my beloved enemy. It just makes no sense. They'll look at you with a weird look. What are you talking about? Beloved enemy, right? Only with Christianity do we find something. That's what Jesus Christ himself said. I, he can, he'll say it better than I would. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, what? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I mean, this is part of Christianity, right? We should love, we should love the Jews. We should love them. It goes on to say in verse 29, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. If God has chosen to give a gift, he will not take it back. God doesn't do that. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their obedience. Verse uh, 31, Even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown to you, the church, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that they might have, that he might have mercy on all. This, some of these verses, it just blows our minds because we're saying, Lord, when you said that there's no way we can understand your ways, my mind just went poof, right? How God and his sovereignty worked all of this out, and, and at the same time, it's hard to even understand and then Paul wraps up this section. And this isn't just a section of, of chapter 11. Wraps up the entire section of chapters 9 through 11. This whole concept now of, of God and his selection. And, and uh, he wraps it up in verses 33 through 36 with a benediction, really. And we read this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? No one gives God counsel, right? Or who has first given to him that it should be repaid to him? God's never had a debt. never owes anybody anything. And it goes on in verse 36, the last verse of the chapter. We read this. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. So, prepositions are important, aren't they? Of him, through him, and to him. So everything is done by him. Of him. It's done through him. He's the one who makes it all happen. And it's done to him. All the glory goes to him, doesn't it? And that's why he ends with, with, are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. What a beautiful way to sum all of this up. As we do, what about you? I just want to, I'm going to ask two questions. One about the goodness and one about the severity of God. Number one, does the goodness of God overwhelm you? It should. Are you humbled and grateful when you see the goodness of God? Amen. Remembering that we're wild branches being grafted into a tree wasn't even our own roots. And we, we suck the nutrients and the spiritual 
the spiritual nutrients that come out of that only because God allowed us to be a part of that. Isn't that an amazing thought? You should be overwhelmed by His goodness. The second question is this. Have you forgotten or been ignoring the severity of God? And does this cause you to continue in His goodness, as it says in Romans 11? You know, oftentimes we, we forget about the severity of God and, and uh, we, we focus so much on His goodness that we forget that, that God is severe too. Isn't that true? This is a healthy fear we're talking about. We're not talking about fear like you, you fear an abusive parent or something like that. We're talking about a fear uh, of, of, of not pleasing the God who's been so good to us. Right? There's a difference. And I feared my dad. Um, I loved him. He was very good to us, which is why I feared him in that way. There's just something inside that says, I want to please him. I want to be a good son. And when I messed up, I felt horrible. I felt horrible. Unless we won the soccer game. <laughs> but you know, I, in reality, it's to, let, to let our God down should, should, should do something to us in our soul. If it doesn't, then maybe you need to rethink whether or not you understood salvation to begin with. Right? Do you, have you forgotten or been ignoring the severity of God? Maybe there are things that you've let in your life and you've allowed to go on that you know God is not happy with. Where you've been ignoring the severe side of them. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond, but there's really two kinds of invitations I want to give today. Perhaps you're here today and you've never genuinely experienced God's grace and His goodness and His forgiveness. And if that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity. You can come forward. You can go to the back. We have people. They have a little lanyard that says, Ask Me. And when we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I want you to, to just feel free to come talk to me or come talk to them. I'll show you from God's word how you can know for sure that you have God's goodness. The second invitation is for anyone else. Maybe, you, maybe you're saved, and maybe today you're just impacted by his goodness, just reflecting on what he's done. And you just want to come up and just pray, and just praise the Lord. And say, Lord, thank you for the salvation that I have. I'm going to give you an opportunity just to come forward and pray. Or maybe you're impacted by his severity and you know there's something in your life that you need to repent of and you know that right here, God's going to offer you forgiveness. Right here. You can do it in your seats too, Kenny. But, but give you an opportunity to respond. All you have to do is come to, and say, Lord, I recognize your severity. Lord, I am sorry. And guess what? If we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's the goodness of God. You take either one of those without the other and you have an incomplete notion of God. And so, whatever it is, God's goodness is available for you. And so in a moment, I'd just like to ask you to come forward and, and uh, make that decision to the Lord. I was reminded that um, when we were singing today, come thou fount of every blessing. In the second verse, we read, O to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering soul to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take it. Seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. If that's your prayer, then I'm going to give you a chance to respond. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I pray. Heavenly Father, we are baffled 
by your goodness. You have allowed us the spiritual fruit that you have given to Israel. The fact that you have allowed the Messiah to be made known to us, that we could have forgiveness of our sins, that we could be able to have a relationship with you unhindered by sin, to be able to look you in the face knowing that every sin we've ever done has been forgiven. Lord, we we can't help but say thank you. We're broken by, by the fact that you sent your own son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, we thank you. And that's what gives us the, re- the desire to follow you, Lord. But Lord, I pray too that we would not forget your severity. You love us too much to let us stray too far off course without correcting us. And Lord, I pray that even right now, if the Holy Spirit is working in people's hearts right now, bringing to, to, to mind certain things, whether it's a habit or an action or an attitude or something that doesn't belong in our hearts. I pray that today we would understand that severity and that it would draw us to goodness. We would continue in your goodness because of it. So Lord, I pray that today every single one of us would walk out of here knowing for sure where our eternity is and knowing where our relationship is with you. We thank you for that opportunity. I pray this in Christ's name.